with Lowell. I'm your host, Lowell Thompson. This podcast is first and foremost about learning. We will learn about the different avenues for success in biotech, healthcare, and related science fields through conversations with startups, researchers, and policymakers, CEOs, experts, you name it. We're going to have it on this podcast so you can learn about the different ways people are achieving things in the industry and how you can do the same. Or just learn about great science topics. I consider there are two main types of episodes. The first type is what I consider a case study or mini biographies where I communicate with a person about a specific topic, usually what they're trained in or have experience in, so you can get a sense of who they are, what they do, and what they're passionate about. And that usually comes with a a lot of advice at the end. The second type is a symposium topic, or a group topic where I interview a bunch of guests around a central theme, such as like how to get venture capital for a biotech company, how to affect change in Congress. That's going to be a fun one how to eradicate an illness. Tune in every Monday for email blasts if you've signed up for them at my website, Learning with Lowell, to get book recommendations, website recommendations. I mean, really, you're going to get a lot of content from that every Tuesday for new episodes. And every Thursday, I'm going to do a blog post as well. And we have a Facebook, a Twitter. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn. Basically, device connects to the internet. You'll be able to get these podcasts. Please leave a review and tell everyone, please and thank you. Today we're joined with Alyssa McCall, Director of Conservation Outreach and a staff scientist up in the north with Polar Bears International, and BJ, BJ Kirschenhofer, Director of Field Operations. Alyssa went more the degree route and kind of worked her way into Polar Bear International, where BJ was a bit more of the like handyman trying to kind of like work his way in over time. They both had similar-esque ways of getting involved, but the differences I thought were really unique in how they advance themselves career-wise. I think there's something that everyone can take from that. So you get a kind of a nice balance of two people into the life at Polar Bear International. And the great thing is they both wear, as you can imagine, up, up north, many different hats. So Alyssa is the director of outreach, and she's a staff scientist doing research with the polar bears. And BJ, who does a lot of field operations, den studies, a lot of research in himself. Like you'll see, like each of them has a lot to bring to the table that I think everyone's going to really enjoy. I know I enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun with this podcast. I think you're going to notice a lot of the laughs and a lot of the fun we had. And I hope you all enjoy it as well. Please let me know. Also, there will be hyperlinked show notes to jump around. So basically, you can select a time and kind of it'll let you know like briefly what's going to be talked about in that section. You can kind of jump around a little bit. I think it makes the hour-long episodes a little bit more accessible for people who are either starting out, maybe have a quick 15 minutes and they want to listen to something, but then they're like, oh, I want to listen to the rest of it later. You know, I like to give people options. So I hope you all enjoy that. Enjoy this conversation with Elisa and BJ. Let's get into this. What was that attracted you to polar bear science originally? Um, for me, it was, it was an accident that I got into polar bears. I had spent many years studying uh, little deer mice and toads in British Columbia. And the person I worked under uh, on those projects knew Andy DeRoche, polar bear scientist in Alberta. And when I was ready to move on in my degree, uh, he got us in touch and I started with polar bears. And I did fall in love with them. I think, of course, it's pretty obvious. Polar bears are gorgeous. They're amazing. I think generally people feel some sort of connectedness to bears and polar bears are so unique. What really kind of piqued my interest as kind of a conservationist in a way is that going from terrestrial conservation to marine conservation is so different because in terrestrial conservation, like, so I was studying deer mice when we're looking at, you know, how are we going to, if these deer mice are declining, are we worried about them? There's these really kind of immediate and concrete things we can do. We can, you know, put up fences, we can plant more grass or more trees. uh, We can adjust cattle schedule grazing, things like that. And when we're talking about polar bears, we're really looking at protecting their sea ice habitat. But when we're losing sea ice, it's because of rising atmospheric temperatures. So we can't just put a border around sea ice. We can't just grow more of it when we want to. It really is this different kind of proactive conservation. And I just thought it was a unique situation. And their lives are just crazy. Like you go out in the north in the Arctic and it, it looks like this dead zone. Like it just looks brutal. And then you dig a little deeper and there's so much life and these amazing lifestyles and it. It's, we just want to protect that. I mean, it's such a cool way way of being. Definitely. Yeah. BJ? 
Yeah, so I also sort of fell into polar bears. I was working for a photographer all, all through university. And uh, and when his business model was changing, he introduced me to the folks at Polar Bears International. And really, they just kind of sent me up north and said, we'll see where you fit in. <laughs> and uh, apparently it kind of worked out, um, you know, and, and so I really was able to develop my skills. I think one of the neat things about working in the north um, is you may not be the most qualified person, but you're probably the most qualified person in a thousand miles. Um, so, uh, so people give you a little bit of space and time to figure things out. And so I was really, uh, able to, uh, problem solve and, uh, and sort of work a little uh, niche into, uh, into what I do now. So it's, it's been really great. And, um, yeah, I'm thankful for all the people that we work with and, and, and the path that's gotten us here. On the, on the uh, question about being a thousand miles from other people, have you ever worried about dying or just like not being able, cause that'd be my concern. Like. Because I let, if I needed to, I could just walk in a day and get somewhere to get help. But I don't think you guys could walk to get help. So is that ever a concern? Or did you feel apprehension going north to the, the desert? Yeah, I, I'll give my perspective and then BJ can give his. It's I think uh, danger is definitely inherent in doing any Arctic field work. Uh, when we're doing mark recapture programs with polar bears, we're spending a lot of time in helicopters over sea ice, which can have open water, open leans. And we, we've we known polar bear scientists that have died on the job. Um, it also, you know, weather moves in crazy fast in the Arctic. There's no real such things as a good weather forecast up there. Um, there's a host of situations that can go wrong, let alone that you're working with, you know, a predator. Um, so when we are on the ice working on a polar bear, you, you have to have someone keeping an eye out because another one could come up real quick. So danger is always on the mind, but I feel like we always over prepare as much as possible. There are a ton of safety things in place, backups of everything. Um, people always know where you are GPS tracking these days on all helicopters. And so we do definitely take danger into mind, but I think we also try to be as safe as possible and a little bit of risk seems to be worth the reward. Um, yeah. BJ. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, oftentimes, believe it or not, working with polar bears, uh, that is the last thing that's on your mind uh, as far as danger is concerned. We do spend a lot of time planning uh, for all the things that could go wrong. We spend a lot of time training uh, for different things uh, that could go wrong. And we do carry a ton of stuff. I mean, I'm always complaining about uh, the amount of bags that you have to have you know, to, to, to go and do work in the North, just cause you've got so many layers of clothes and all these things you have to bring in order to keep yourself safe. So we do really take a lot of time and plan. And I think probably, yeah, probably the most dangerous thing that we do is, is uh, fly around in, in small aircraft or, or helicopters. Um, and then the weather, the next piece after that, cause you're right. You can't just walk anywhere. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's nowhere to go. And, uh, and the temperatures are quite cold. So. Yeah. Frostbite's a real concern. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of a silly question. Have you ever seen the movie The Thing? This is from 1984. You love The Thing, yes. So you guys yeah. ever watch it up there? Like when there's like a big blizzard going on? <laughs> you know, I haven't. I've seen it before, and I think I love scary movies. I, think. I don't like it. I hate scary movies. <laughs> there is a place, and uh, so we work a lot in Churchill, Manitoba, in Canada, and the Churchill Northern Studies Center there is this kind of research outpost, and it's outside of town. And they have this brand new, beautiful facility now, but it used to be an older, um, much more kind of unique facility, very similar. It reminds me a lot of the facility in The Thing. And so when I would stay there, I would totally think of that movie when a storm blew in and they've got all these like, it, there, it used to be a military base in Churchill. So there's like these underground tunnels and like just weird equipment and totally I've thought about the thing many times I should probably actually do for a rewatch maybe we'll have to do that next fall BJ yeah that sounds like a plan yeah I think a lot of the places in the north uh yeah the facilities we're in they're they're often like a hodgepodge of buildings that are have been just uh put together kind of made made to work up there and mm -hmm. uh Oftentimes, conversation over dinner is, wow, this would be a great place to, to film a, a horror movie because <laughs> these places are just awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Two Lovers and a Bear. It's not a horror movie, but it's very kind of similar to that sort of thing. Yeah. No, it's really good. It's not as weird as it might sound, but it's a really neat movie. And it's very, like, northern, and they kind of get stuck in the storm in this, like, random location. It's I recommend it for something different. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll try it out. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with BJ. I don't, I don't like horror movie, but the thing, I, it's so good of a, of a movie. It's like, it's not even really a, a horror movie. It's more like a psychological thriller, and it's so good. Like, there's, yeah, I don't know. If you've never seen it, BJ, I would like you guys should watch it together <laughs> during a storm, and then tell me how that goes. So when it comes to uh, conservation, because I think you made a, a, a comment earlier that like you can't build a. <laughs> I don't, I'm laughing because I'm in America. So like building the, stay in the statement, build the wall is kind of funny down here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't like build a wall around the problem. So when you guys go out and you work on these projects, what are some of the effects of your actions? Are you able to see improvements in certain things? I, I think with polar bear conservation, it, it's a real kind of a slow burn of conservation. So um, to ultimately protect polar bears into the future, it really is going to be this kind of global, high-level governmental effort and community effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and switch to more renewable fuels and just kind of get the climate back on track. Um, but in the shorter term, um, important things that we're doing and that we've been able to kind of implement are these long-term monitoring projects on different things. So, for example, in Churchill, Manitoba has the longest-running um, polar bear monitoring program in the world, started in 1980. And by collecting data every year on the polar bears, on you know their numbers, their size, how many cubs there are, uh, cub survival rate, how are the moms doing, all this data, um, and being able to combine that with changes in sea ice data and looking over decadal periods, so you know 30 years at a time, um, that's allowed us to actually see what's going on with polar bears. And then those sorts of information will help us kind of in the shorter term, maybe adjust our management plans. Um, also, advances in genetic technology are helping us better understand populations. Uh, so there's 19 subpopulations of polar bears around the world and how they're divided is, you know, it's basically up to humans how we divide those populations, but that has implications for how governments and different groups are managing those populations. So by better data collecting, we can better understand how these bears are kind of roaming the Arctic and what they need and then make better shorter term plans. Um, you know, if we can say, all right, we know if nothing changes in then by 2050, Hudson Bay is going to be likely ice free. Um, here's what we need to do for these polar bears. And then we can do shorter term things. Um, so that's been good. And then BJ has been involved in, um, well, multiple projects, but a, a den monitoring project that's been really interesting as well, kind of in that vein. Yeah, so we're looking at uh, dens in northern Alaska, um, in uh, Norway, in Svalbard, Norway, and then uh, maybe someday here soon in Canada as well. Just look at changes. How much time are polar bears spending at the den? How big are the litters? Uh, sizes of cubs, that kind of thing. Um, and what kind of changes are happening there? So that's been pretty interesting. And and so Polar Bears International has, you know, we've got this on the ground research. We're helping to sponsor research in other places. But then we're also able to take this information. And I think what unique to our organization is, you know, we can take that and then put it into our our education programs and then talk about this with people kind of like we're doing today, you know, and say, hey, here's the stuff we're seeing in the Arctic. Um, and uh, this is what's happening with polar bears. This is what we need to do in order to help them. And uh, and so that's, you know, I think kind of circling back all the way around, you know, we can't build a fence, but we can talk to people and we can encourage people to make changes in their lives. And, and that's will ultimately save polar bears. This is one of the questions I wanted, I definitely wanted to ask. So there was this Montreal protocol in the 80s where we realized that putting like hairs with the CFCs, I think there were the in the atmosphere would destroy the ozone layer. And we were like, hey, we're going to stop that. And we, by collecting the data, like you guys have, have, have been doing, we were able to see that that actually did something. Are the things that we, like people like me, like the little, little guys, uh, are the things that we can be doing to be helpful? Or, or, you know, other than spreading the word, telling as many people as we can, hey, polar bears are awesome. What, what other things are there things we can be doing to be helpful? Yeah, I, th I think that the Montreal Protocol is a, I mean, it's a shining example of when people identify a problem and work together to fix something. And I actually think maybe there hasn't been enough of the good news spread of how we have helped, you know, the ozone layer and all these things like that and acid rain. We, you know, we came up with solutions and we fixed it. Um, and I don't think there has been enough celebration of people for doing that. But yeah, I, I do think that this, uh, this climate change issue, it is, you know, about these greenhouse gas emissions. We're just releasing these rampant amounts into the air. We have to get back to more regular amounts. Um, talking to people is important and people can do things um, day to day. Any individual can, but I think 
Uh, it's important to remember this is no one individual's problem. And like we've seen before, it is working as a community. And so I think just kind of changing the social norms with some of the stuff and just being vocal um, is a real good way to help. So, you know, the classic reduced reuse of cycle, all good, but we can also be voting for leaders that care about the environment and will make plans that are, are good for communities, states, provinces, countries. Uh, we can yeah, make sure there's legislation that's going to protect these certain areas. We can have, um, you know, government or, you know, local community supported um, avenues to switch to different energy. So right now, trying to outfit your home with solar energy can be really cost prohibitive for a lot of people, even if they want to do it. So if we could offer better incentives, better rebates, things like that. Uh, so the individual family who's, you know, trying to put groceries on the table doesn't feel so overwhelmed. They've got all these different options. And that's going to kind of come from a higher level of power. But uh, just supporting each other, carpooling, uh, supporting bike lanes in your community, supporting zoning so that you have a grocery store uh, in a walking distance to you. You don't have to drive half an hour to go get groceries. Um, all those things are really going to add up to be a nice social change that we need. And the cool thing about polar bears is that everything that's good for them is really good for people too. So that's a bonus of helping them. Yeah. BJ, I don't know if you have more to add for that. Yeah. I think the only, the, the last piece I like to talk about, I'm kind of a technology guy, but then yeah. you touched on it, but you know, I mean, being a supporter of these new technologies, we're not talking about moving back to a horse and horse and buggy, give up your car and, you know, go to horse and buggy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not realistic. But, you know, be an advocate for these new technologies that ultimately will um, or hopefully will be, you know, an answer to to uh, help and solve the problem here. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's such a good point because we'll often hear like, you know, you shouldn't worry about it. You know, science will fix it. Well, technology will be in a good enough place that we'll deal with it when it gets really bad. And maybe, but we need to be supporting science and technology and not, you know, mm -hmm. ripping the rug out from under the, you know, the folks and the programs that are trying to push these new technologies that, so, yeah, absolutely. There's actually a book. We had a, a lady on here earlier in the series, the, the podcast, that suggested a book called uh, Congress for Dummies. And so you can, you, yeah, it's, she works, she worked at the White House. Congress, the USDA, yeah, like, so she understands, like, policy management when it comes to science. And she says, like, when it comes to, like, the local level, like, uh, in the United States, you, like, sending emails and contacting people, for the people listening, like, they, they really do hear it. Like, one, you can actually vote and, and be helpful that way. But two, like you were saying, like, we vote with our dollars. So to, to an extent where things become accessible, either through technological innovation or through our own choices, that helps, because then, people see what you're paying for. Like if you're paying a little bit more for an electric car, then people see, oh, you care about these things. Then more people get into electric cars. Then the price goes down. Then, you know, innovation goes up. And it's actually an interesting uh, point about horse and buggies. In the early, the late 1800s, this person did these numbers and said at the current population trend in uh, New York City, that by 1910, the population will have to like die out or move. Because the the growth in horse and buggies was so much that like the manure and stuff was like it wasn't going to be sustainable. And then we you know we invented like the Model T and whatnot. And like no one no one sees that. But at the same time, like if you don't set up for innovation, and the the Ford guy like most people wouldn't give him money, and he had to keep you know working on it. And so like nowadays we there's a lot of structure for helping innovation, but there's definitely a lot more we can do. So you can read to circle around. Uh, the Congress for Dummies, writing people, like if you're passionate about something, you care, like, and you, if you ask yourself, what can you do more than once? Like, go ask a question, you know, like, go, go read this book, listen to these podcasts, and then go write, write your politician, like, hey, what can I do to be helpful? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And on uh, our website, uh, Polar Bears International, we will like do petitions or we'll post like samples of text that people can use to write into their local government. And we do work with um, a couple lawyers that are, you know, involved in policy. And that's kind of one of like, I sometimes wonder if I redid my path. I, I don't think I'd be a good lawyer. But you know, I sure wish I had a better grasp on some of this policy stuff, because it seems like it's such an amazing way to make change. But, you know, if I can't do it myself, then, yeah, I can put pressure on or support those who are doing it. So, I, yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. It's so important because our public representatives are working for us, so they might as well know what we want. Yeah, and then, well, with the Congress for Dummies one, like, you can learn it, you know? Like, I don't That's know how cool. much... I'm going to look that up. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much free time... How much free time do you guys get? That's a good question. 
Uh, how much free time do you get when you're up north? Are you just like always staring at polar bears or like collecting data? Or are you able to <laughs> relax and like have a night off or something? Like how does it compare to a regular job? Yeah, it's pretty busy. I think, uh, you know, typically when you're on a field project, you've got a short amount of time to get something done. And uh, so you're just pushing. You are pushing so hard. So you're working some pretty long days. The only uh, uh, caveat to that probably is when you get those weather days. I mean, sometimes yeah. you'll 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 just work, 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 get all prepared to go. And then also the weather will go south on you. And that is it. You're sitting on the ground for days or maybe weeks depending yeah. on where you are. So you could, it's always good to have a good book along or maybe a stack of them just in yeah. case. And a, there's a lot of crib players amongst uh, polar bear scientists too. I think there's been a lot of days stuck in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, no internet, just playing crib and cooking. Yeah. Frozen food. Food. <laughs> yeah. food. Yeah, exactly. What is crib? Oh, Cribbage, yeah. Sorry, it's a game with like the little pegs in the holes. It's, oh, it's oh, an old game. Cribbage. Yeah, there's like a yeah. three by nine holes, and you move it around to get them all yeah. out. I think is that someone? I, it's been a while for me, but I did. I learned it only due to being stuck by weather on a polar bear project. But it's been a few years now. But yeah, it's yeah. A, it's, I think the it was much more popular. The before the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just like, is that like some Canadian thing? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, is it? Maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, I only never saw it in my grandparents' house. And yeah. I never saw them play it, though. So that's, it's good that like, these old games have a life in the North. Totally. Yeah, lots of card games. Yep. <laughs> Do you guys ever play board games? You know, some of the, I think in Canada, they really like sequence. That's one of the one of the favorites out there. Oh, maybe that's an Eastern Canada thing. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, really? Though, yeah, some of that yeah. stuff's like a little more Eastern, and I know um, was it Uno is like popular more in Ontario and that. Yeah, I. Yeah, my I mean my favorite board game growing up was Candyland. It's been a long time, so I should. Yeah, I think I you should bring that to the next field camp, Elisa. I should. I see that goes over with all the old gruff biologist You're like oh I gotta you know what's that pink princess or something i can't remember i'll have to dig that out well, the, uh, board game, a board game you guys might enjoy is called settlers of Catan. a lot of people oh, like it like that one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. good um, one we that would be a good one to bring up actually we yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good long game right like it takes yeah. a while oh yeah you can play it yeah especially if you add alcohol like it goes really really long <laughs> i don't know if you guys are like like alcohol, but yeah, it, it, it elongates uh, the game in, in an obnoxious way, which as long as it's in moderation, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll have to get on that for sure. Yeah, one good thing when we're doing our um, during the polar bear migration in the fall, which is where we do a lot of our live education outreach. Um, we do have internet almost all the time. So it's a bit different from like your classic remote field work site. So we do um, have a little more access, which sometimes just turns into working all night long, but sometimes there'll be like funny movies or we get into YouTube pretty deep or something. But I think Settlers of Catan would be a good alternative, maybe. Good nice way to mix it up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So if people, I try not to watch the news too much for a variety of reasons in the United States. Like, I always seems like there's an, a, a new tragedy going on. So what are yeah. some, what, yeah, what are some positive things? Are there anything that isn't apocalyptic that maybe people wouldn't notice because it's not in the news because it's not apocalyptic that would make people be hopeful for the future versus oh, yeah. I, I was watching a, a live stream the other day and you were commenting on the fullness of a polar bear in a funny way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's super funny. Uh, yeah, was that like the JLo comment that you mentioned? Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, paused it. I paused it and showed it to my girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, what? I would not think scientists would talk this way. This is fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, there's we get sometimes some kind of accidentally funny comments up there. But yeah, so the thing about sea ice is that, you know, it changes every year. So we do have bad years, you know, up in Churchill where we, and we do predict we'll probably see more bad years. But... When we do have a good ice year, so that means, you know, the bears have come off the ice late, so they've hunted longer. Uh, they are in good shape, and so we do get to see some fat bears 
uh, sometimes. And the, it's just so nice to see kind of the really healthy families and really fat bears and the kind of jiggly butts. And um, they just, you know, they, they look how a polar bear should look. And so it, it's really hopeful because we know that sea ice condition is very directly tied to greenhouse gas emissions. So as soon as we get those under control, we can get back to seeing more jiggly, happy polar bears as often as, you know, we can, which would be great. Um, but yeah, good news stories, other, you know, in terms of polar bears, we're learning a lot more technologies advancing, we're able to learn a lot more about polar bears now in less of invasive ways. Uh, so, you know, GPS technology shrinking, so we can track bears more easily, we can learn about their genetics more, we're collecting better data all the time. And again, circling kind of back to innovation, we're, we're just seeing um, just some great pushes at different levels in Canada. You know, the latest government um, has really taken a, a bigger step in acknowledging climate change and, and funding projects and being aware, um, you know, that we need to get Canada on track to meet the, you know, Paris Agreement limits and things like that. There, I think there is a lot of good news. You're right. It does tend to get overshadowed by some of the bad stuff. But um, and what we see like for on a smaller scale, but things people might not see is PBI does work with classrooms all around the world and they do projects all the time and they they're always sending us like videos and photos and we do have a project polar bear competition uh, that we get to see classrooms make really cool projects and those just like make our week to see some of that stuff because these kids are so smart. They're so passionate. Um, they just have the coolest ideas. There is a, a school, Davis County, well, a whole county, I think. They did this whole February was bike month. So every time kids walked their bike to school, you know, they got points. And at the end of the month, you know, they adopted over a dozen polar bears uh, through PBI and donated all this money. I think one of the projects. Dana's had... art school there in, in oh, Spain yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. We got these awesome. uh, kids. Uh, making songs about climate and the whole school is singing them and they've got them cut together in videos that are super creative. It's So it's really good energy from the young kids. Oh, yeah. They just get so into it. We had one of our Project Polar Bear teams. I, BJ might know a bit more. It was a few years back, I think, before I started, but the students actually redesigned the bus routes in their district and took one or two buses off the road completely and transported the same amount of schools. Like they're just, I don't know, they're so innovative and creative and we just love thinking that they're our next leaders, you know? So that's really good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we do try to highlight uh, the good stories too, when we're again, kind of on the local scale there, when we're cruising mm -hmm. around on the Tundra um, streaming live and, and talking about what we're seeing, you know, if we see a, a a mom with some healthy cubs or something like that. That's definitely something that we try to to focus mm -hmm. on and, and talk about. Uh, so it's not all doom and gloom. We've got the yeah. we've got some of the happy stuff in there as well. Yeah, we've seen some pretty neat stuff out on the tundra. And I think are we still doing it? I know our social media. Oh, <laughs> I just wrote my headphones out. Um, we do a, a good news Friday piece on social media. I think so. Um, mm -hmm. So we we are trying to push the the fun stuff as well and posting cute pictures of happy polar bears as often as we can so that helps i think yeah you always have those coca-cola commercials i can't look at pop <laughs> without thinking of the polar bears like that's such good branding i don't even like coca-cola but I, I always like smile when i see one and i think of that little oh. happy polar bear i don't know if, that's um, funny you guys know what i'm talking about but yeah um, oh yeah okay yeah. okay yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. yeah 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 i think the only one of the drawbacks of that is I think they used to show polar bears and penguins hanging out together quite often and it confused a whole generation of people. But I think that's still getting does. Cleared up people now. are lost. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't polar yeah. bears and penguins? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty yeah. funny. They do not. It's different poles. But, yeah. <laughs> I grew up on a farm, so it's always funny to see people realize where their food comes from. Like there was this one there was this one mom where my mom was like explaining, like, hey, this pig's gonna become pork chop. And the mom's like don't, don't don't do that don't explain that to him he won't eat and and he and it's like yeah but you eat that to live like it's just like the circle of life but it's always funny to to you know like the polar bear does want to eat the penguin and the penguin doesn't necessarily want to be eaten by the polar bear but you know he's he's there like a quick snack um and it's not you know it take a while for him to get one because it's like what five thousand miles away right yeah it would probably not be worth the calories expended but they do definitely 
in kind of the same vein. I mean, baby seals are just about the cutest things, but that's like the best feeding opportunity for polar bears are the kind of juvenile baby seals. They're just like little fat popsicles on the sea ice. They're super useless. They don't really know what's going on. They're just like laying there as a pile of fat and a polar bear yeah, just come along. Swim. And, yeah, they're <laughs> just totally useless. So polar bears um, will time. So mothers in dens with cubs will emerge from their dens kind of around the time that seals are pupping. And then it's just so right kind of around this time of year, it's just like a feeding frenzy out on the ice. And we call it hyperphagia. So polar bear will eat like a 100 pounds of fat in one sitting sort of deal, just like eat up all this seal blubber. And I think the you know, polar bears are so beautiful and cute and pristine. And then you see a photo of them after a seal kill and they're just like red and dripping with blood. And it's, it's pretty gnarly, but it's also pretty cool. <laughs> poor seals get hammered. Yeah. When you said popsicles of fat, like I just pictured like a bunch of like half seal cubs with a stick and a polar bear eating it, which is just a fan. Uh, Somebody's, someone listening needs to make that into a meme and we'll, we'll spread it around. I would. Love that. I would love to see that. I think we would use that for sure if we were allowed to. Yeah, that's that would be a happy day for polar bear. Mm-hmm. So I was I was reading recently that whales, like the blue whales, like they gain like something like the baby baby whales. I think they're called calves. Gain something like two hundred pounds a day. Are there any like really crazy facts, fat facts, but or just facts in general about polar bears? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Polar bears are technically a marine mammal, which, you know, all the rest of the bears are terrestrial, but polar bears really rely on the seal blubber. So they're kind of in that category of marine animal, uh, which means they also have this very fatty milk. So when cubs are born, they're only slightly bigger than about a stick of butter, but their moms have uh, milk that's about 31% milk fat, which is the highest fat content in mammal milk that we find on land. Um, and the next ones would be like seals and whales would have higher fat, but bears, polar bears have the most fatty milk on land. So this helps the cubs grow really quickly. So by the time the cubs are like a year old, they can be, um, you know, well over a hundred pounds, well over. So if you think about, you know, if, if a human child grew at that rate, say being born at seven pounds and then growing to like over 600 pounds by the first birthday, like that, it's just crazy. So they grow rapidly and they have to be able to, within a couple months after being born, use their little legs to walk out on the sea ice with mom and polar bears. Some of them have huge home ranges. So they just range, you know, over half a million square kilometers. Mums um, with young cubs won't do, won't walk that much, but they walk a lot. And so these little babies just are keeping up with mom and still growing. So moms really have a lot of work to do when it comes to, uh, you know, feeding their babies. And that means they need to eat a lot of calories. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's all about fat for them. And polar bears, you know, are pretty stoked when a, there's a dead whale on shore too to get to feast on that. That's a, They'd love that as a snack as well. <laughs> they can't catch it themselves, but they'll take the leftovers. Yeah, yeah, if they had their choice, they would only eat fat. They wouldn't eat the muscle tissue. They wouldn't eat this other stuff. They would only eat fat. And, you know, of course, humans can't do that. Uh, that would kill us. And there's no, yeah. you know, there's no heart disease in, in the polar bear world. It's pretty remarkable that they're able to survive off of just marine mammal fat if, you know, if given the opportunity. Yeah, re- researchers are, have looked at kind of the polar bear genetics around the cardio health because they don't get heart attacks from only eating fat. Um, and polar bears have a different digestive system than their cousins, the brown bears. So brown bears, of course, eat a lot more protein and carbohydrates and digest those more efficiently. And polar bears really don't digest carbs or protein very efficiently. It's like all about fat for them. So it's a pretty unique animal in that way we have well andy deroche who we work with calls them lipovores even rather than carnivores it's like it's a made-up word but lipovores they basically just yeah like bj said i just want to eat fat uh so it's definitely a unique way to live and it makes their poo really gross (laughs) (laughs) like it's just like an oil slick just runny like you know herbivores have the nice kind of clumpy poo and polar bears is just like not nice (laughs) it's not good but when when we do see them on land, like it, so in the fall, polar bears are around Churchill because the sea ice is melted in Hudson Bay for the summer. They come on land and wait for it to refreeze. So we do see them for a little period of time there. And they will graze on berries and whatever's around. They're still a bear. They like to eat. So they will eat other stuff. They just don't digest it well. But when they are eating a bunch of berries, then their poo is definitely like 
blue and purple and just really weird. I mean, it's just really reflective of their diet. So it's pretty fascinating. I think biologists are generally like poo. <laughs> it tells you a lot about the animal. Yeah, when you said it was like really demented, there's like this fish that is like a blob and has like a nose that you see on the internet every now and again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just imagine like that. <laughs> it was like, that's hideous. So I'm glad it's not like that. It's just disgusting either way, but it's just fantastic. So I would never have asked that question. That is, that's really interesting. Don't, don't, uh, polar bears swim something like, or like travel like 80 miles a day or something like that. Yeah. They, they walk, you know, they can easily do like 30 kilometers a day. Sorry. I talk in like kilometers and that being the Canadian. Um, it, it's really interesting because how far a polar bear moves is so dependent on so many things. So we see different populations of bears move very differently. So, you know, in areas, um, in Northern Canada, well, so even actually we can just compare Western Hudson Bay and Southern Hudson Bay populations. We see bears moving, yeah, over 400, 500 square kilometers in a year. And then there's a few populations where it's really productive. So there's enough seals and the bears just have these teeny tiny home ranges of like 20,000 square kilometers, like just a fraction. And then it'll even depend. Less. Even yeah. in uh, Norway, there there's uh, there's talk of these bears that really just spend their their most of their life in a fjord. So yeah. I mean, just a really really small area compared to these bears that are over in uh, Alaska or, or Canada. For people who are listening, a kilometer is 0.63 of a mile. So just basically double all the numbers they're giving you if you only know miles. Thank you. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then mothers that have like little cubs are going to move less than um, independent females or ones that have older cubs just because little cubs can't keep up. Um, and they will also try to swim less. So swimming is really energetically costly. And when the water is so cold, adult polar bears can insulate themselves with their body fat, but little cubs don't have that same amount of body fat. So it's really hard on them. They might not survive. Um, and then now that we're seeing ice um, thinning out, it's moving a lot more. So we're seeing more of this treadmill effect in places in the Arctic. So bears are having to walk more to kind of move the same amount. So they're spending more energy kind of doing the same thing. So there's all these different factors into how far they move. But yeah, just like an average polar bear, just given, you know, a huge expanse of ice to walk, they, they move a lot. They're very mobile animals and, and like they're sneaky quick and BJ I'm sure can attest the same thing. Like you'll be out on the, you know, tundra or the ice working on a bear in one place and you look around constantly. You don't see a bear. You don't see a bear. You look down for like, I swear, like a minute, not, not even 30 seconds. And all of a sudden there's a bear like way too close or, you know, too close for comfort anyway. They just, they're sneaky in a way. They're just stealthy. And they just move like they look slow and lumbering and fat, but they yeah, yeah. gotta keep your eyes on the horizon there because yeah. they are they are sneaky. They're patient. Uh, they're yep. sneaky. I wouldn't say you know I wouldn't say they're these uh, maybe the you get these assumptions that they're the big killers. You know that these polar yeah. bears are. Uh, it's really not how they are. They're really more kind of this calculated animal that's uh, that's curious. Uh, meandering around out there wherever on the sea ice or or on land and uh and you definitely have to keep your eyes on the horizon because they they will come out of nowhere and yeah. uh and just to come check you out obviously we don't want to let them make decisions for us so you know <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll keep ourselves protected but uh yeah yeah they are pretty neat in fact that they can move across the the uh the, the land like that yeah, I think they ju they're just like kind of following their nose. We must smell pretty good or interesting or different, you know. They're always like they're really good at kind of figuring out new and different things. And polar bears because they do roam these huge areas, they're generally well, they're not territorial, whereas brown bears are. So you might, you know, we know we never want to encounter a polar bear on the landscape and we have all sorts of, you know, tools and things we can do to kind of scare them away if we do see one, but I would probably rather accidentally have a polar bear in my vision than like a brown bear because brown bears just generally are more territorial, more aggressive. They're having to like kind of fight to protect their area of food, whereas polar bears are, they can overlap with each other and not be generally so angry, but we definitely don't want to take chances. Like BJ said, they're not some, you know, they get this reputation as like a man killer or one of the few animals that will stalk and eat humans on purpose, but it's not, it's not really how it is at all. Well, it's a small sample size, right? Like how many humans can really be that far north? I think that's part of it. Yeah. And they, and people have coexisted with them for years. Um, 
But it, yeah, it's definitely a smaller sample size of people that overlap with polar bears compared to those that overlap with brown bears. So we take polar bear safety pretty seriously in the north when we're working. So if, if a polar bear was attacking me, do I have like any advantages as a human? I know I know we're pretty good at like running away, like or like chasing things, because like no, like in in the long term, in the short term we lose, but like in the long term we can hunt down any animal because they'll tire out so fast. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. You're done. They can yeah, you're you're done. Just you. Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. you and your mittens, you know. Uh, I don't think you have much of a chance, you know. So, yeah, we, we carry a whole host of tools uh, with us. Bear spray is one of the big ones we're allowed, so Canada and the United States. And that's probably one of our best options. Um, if they're up close, uh, we can deploy the bear spray, and uh, they definitely don't like that. Um, that stuff is pretty nasty. Um, we do carry firearms in a lot of places as well uh, to protect ourselves. Of course, we don't want to use those. Um, and then kind of an intermediary between the two is a, we use these uh, pyrotechnics like uh, cracker shells and some other uh, like fireworks sort of things that, that you can either shoot from a firearm or uh, these little pen launchers and, and uh, you can try to scare them and uh, buy yourself a little bit of time. But uh, if it's just you walking around out there on the sea ice, I think you're probably you, you may have some trouble. Yeah, I, I think that is like that is such a good point. One of our, you know top bear safety tips is don't go into polar bear country alone like be with somebody be with a group stay together don't play dead stand up yeah. like be yeah you know and well, be remove yourself get on your snowmobile yeah. and just go away exactly. like totally yeah like get that. get out of there bj i think it might be interesting for the viewers to hear your own bear spray story how we know it's so nasty do you mind giving like the pg version of oh yeah bj's totally. been yeah. on the run to that <laughs> and on the receiving end accidentally we uh we were doing some work in polar bear country and so everybody had bear spray on their belt while i was climbing a tower to go install some equipment and my bear spray got caught on the tower and it sprayed down the back of my pants <laughs> and uh and i had a limited amount of time and after the thing went off i put my face in the wind and i you know, uh, made sure there wasn't in my eyes. And I thought, well, I'm fine. You know, nothing happened. It just got a little down my back and in that general region, I thought no problem. So I kept working. Well, about 45 minutes later, it was like my backside was on a barbecue grill. It was so intense, like this rolling burning sen uh, sensation. So I spent the next about an hour and a half running uh, from one body water that ended up being salt water, not helpful. Uh, <laughs> to uh to some fresh water uh to rinse it off and eventually got myself cooled down but that stuff is so gross so nasty i can't imagine having it in your in your face or your eyes yeah really gross but after one thing i think about bear spray that people don't know because i just recently learned it too is that it it is really effective when you spray the bear but once you spray the bear and it takes off like if you can you need to get out of the area because after the initial face full of it it then becomes a scented attraction. And so you might actually eventually draw in other bears that are going to smell the site where the spray deployed. So don't like just spray a bear and stay in, stay in the same place on the ground or whatever. Like if, if that happens, you should leave where from wherever the bear spray is. BJ was up in a tower with a group of people all safe. But if you're out in the bush, yeah, and this yeah. applies to brown bears too. Like, you know, if you're out in the forest and spray a brown bear, like get out of there. Get out of there. It's yeah. definitely not bug spray. It's not a repellent. No. Yeah, you know, yeah, to be deployed, yeah, on a bear, and then it buys you time, and then you have to get out of there. Yeah. So I, I know we wanted to talk about some of the programs you guys are working on to sure. help the uh, the polar bears and whatnot. So I, I just wanted to make sure we had time for that. What, what are some of the ones that you think people would be really excited to hear about? Um. Well, I can talk a little bit about our like education programs, and then maybe we can reiterate some of our research stuff. But so one of the cool things that BJ and I get to do together um, is go out every fall during the polar bear migration in Churchill, which is October, November. So right before the sea ice is freezing up, all these bears kind of move towards the coast to wait to get on the sea ice again. And we go out in um, tundra buggies, and, which are like these, we like to call them polar bear monster trucks. And we get this one specific um, Buggy One donated to us by Frontiers North Adventures. And maybe BJ could talk a little bit about Buggy One. It's kind of like his baby. He's been driving it for like a, over a decade now. And it's just outfitted. So cool. Yes, yeah, so we took this uh, this tourist vehicle and we turned it into like a mobile broadcast studio. So we uh, pulled all the chairs out of it and, uh, and put cameras and lights and all that kind of stuff in there. And then we installed our own internet. 
um, wireless internet on the tundra there. So we shoot broad, uh, broadband internet uh, way out in the middle of nowhere where the polar bears are. And then we can reach out to classrooms all over the world um, through webcast, video conference, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And talk about polar bears, climate change, an- answer kids' questions, um, and just talk about the things that we're seeing there. So we call that tundra connections. And that, that happens in the fall during the polar bear migration. So as we're conducting this program from this you know movable vehicle, there could be polar bears wandering right outside the window um, during the during the, the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's always online, free for anyone to take a look at. Uh, we also have you know curriculum that goes along with that for students and teachers, uh, and it's just super fun. And and the cam in the fall is just streaming all the time, so you don't have to tune in just for a webcast. You can just tune in and watch polar bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're sparring, which is when the bears are kind of play fighting each other, moms and cubs. Super cool. There's also a Northern Lights cam that runs you around, mounted mm-hmm. at the Church of Northern Study Center, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can watch the Northern Lights, and this is kind of the best time of year. We're just getting out of northern light season now but you can still see some it's beautiful and then in the summer in churchill uh, we have beluga boat cams and so we have this tiny little uh kind of zodiac boat we take out onto the churchill river and we have an underwater cam and an above water cam uh, but the underwater one streams live footage of the beluga migration and also has a hydrophone so you can Mm -hmm. hear the beluga singing and it's just, I mean, it's incredible. And so we do a little bit with belugas too. They're also an Arctic sea ice dependent species. Um, we work with the town of Churchill and Sea North Tours and Frontiers North Adventures, all these groups in Churchill to help us do it. And we just, we get millions of views a year on this stuff. It's just amazing. So yeah, I would recommend anyone kind of tune into that. And on our website, you can find out more about our educational programming. Um, there's all sorts of materials online as well. And then as for the research we're doing, like BJ mentioned before, we do support a, a bunch of other people's research. So there's all these really great polar bear projects going on that we're helping fund in different ways. And we're doing some of our own. Um, BJ mentioned the maternal den cam projects in Alaska and Norway. And then BJ, do you mind maybe you talk a little bit about the spotter RF project? That's a pretty cool new one. Yeah. So uh, part of the community safety um, initiative, we're, we're looking at um, tools that could be deployed in communities in the north to maybe as an early warning system for polar bears. Mm-hmm. And so we're using a, a, a tracking radar. It's uh, made by a company called Spotter RF. Um, and, uh, and this thing finds moving targets on the landscape and alerts you to them. And mm-hmm. uh, it does that by showing you where they are on a moving map, like uh, on a Google map. Mm-hmm. And so it'll actually track these things and then it'll focus a camera on the tracked targets as well. So it's, uh, it's kind of almost in the video game realm. Uh, you kind of feel like you're playing a video game because you can actually click on each of the targets that it finds. You can classify them. Mm-hmm. You know, is this a threatening one or non-threatening? Um, that sort of stuff. And so uh, the hopes is that uh, potentially maybe in the future this could be used as a, um, maybe an early warning system in other communities in the north just as a, hey, there's, you know, there's a bear or something bear-like out there. Uh, someone should go check this out. Mm-hmm. That sounds really smart. <laughs> yeah, it could be kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we feel like there's so many communities that live on, you know, these coastal regions. And as we're losing sea ice, bears are spending more time on land and coming in more contact with people. And we really need to worry about the polar bears, but the people too. Like, it's a pretty big deal. Arviat in Nunavut has had to cancel their Halloween for the last couple of years. You know, I can't have kids walking around town at night. It's just, you know, there's going to be this host of issues and um, helping in these types of ways with, uh, again, technology and innovation, uh, hopefully will help protect both species. I keep, as we move forward. I keep picturing and I, I keep trying to like stop myself from laughing, but I keep picturing when you're talking like little kids having like Halloween problems with the polar bears that they're like, like have a flag or like a giant popsicle with the, the seals. And it just like oh my gosh! And it just sort of dressed up as a seal. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, the little baby seals are back. <laughs> I keep trying not to laugh, so like I only explain that because you're probably like seeing me twitch out, but like that's why. Like it's, <laughs> it's not that you're saying something that's funny. It's like I keep picturing like either them as baby seals or like they have popsicles of baby seals, and it's just like the, it's a ridiculous idea. No, that's what I bet it's happened. Halloween is a big deal. Well, at least in, like, we're in Churchill every year in Halloween. It's the biggest party night of the year for the adults. 
And the kids, I mean, it's a big deal for the kids. We, um, well, BJ's actually been part of Halloween Patrol, but there's major Halloween patrols on Halloween. Um, maybe BJ, you could talk a little bit about that since you've participated. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, they, all the adults before dark uh, will go out and park in the perimeter around the town. Um, and their vehicles leave the lights on. Everybody has radios. Um, typically, the helicopter company will send a helicopter up just before dark to have a good look in the bushes and then the vicinity to see if there's any polar bears. And then, and then all the adults sit on the perimeter and just wait and watch while all the kids are going door to door collecting candy. So it's it's yeah. pretty cool, like community effort to make sure that yeah. uh, they don't lose any kids on on Halloween to <laughs> to a polar bear. Yeah, and that's you're not, not allowed to dress like a polar bear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know yeah. if that's like written anywhere, but I know, I yeah. it's a pretty bad idea to dress up yeah. as a polar bear, and probably yeah. not real smart to dress up as a seal either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think you're you'd last very long as a polar bear. So it would t- only take one person to not realize you're a polar bear, and then it it would exactly. not go well for you. It's don't, not going to go well. <laughs> don't, don't don't do it. For everyone who's listening and thought, "Hey, that sounds great. I'm going to go dress up as a polar bear, walk <laughs> a thousand miles north, and, and play with these people." Don't don't do that. So um, yeah. you well, might get garden. Yeah. <laughs> it's isn't aren't uh, polar bear fur like it's uh it's not white. It's like you're like incan not your incandescent iridescent or something like that where it's like hollow and they have air inside yeah. of it and that's how they keep warm. It's like random bear yeah. fact that I've always wanted to know if that's real. Yeah, it is real. Yeah, their hair is hollow and it's clear and it just yeah. looks white to our eyes because it scatters the light and it's neat because you know if the sky is you know, red or yellow and there's a sunset or something, the bear's coat really picks that up. Um, and then of course they look most white when they're out on the sea ice after a good scrub. And then sometimes when we see them in the fall, they've been on land for a few months. Some of them can look a little dirty and yellowish, but, uh, once they get back on the ice, they'll have a good scrub. Um, yeah, but yeah, it is hollow. There's and definitely clear. a lot of bear. There's definitely a lot of variation. There's a couple of grubby bears out there. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. to, you know, it's so much time to watch these animals because you definitely have yeah. the pristine, Steen bears that look very nice. And then every once in a while, you get just this grubby bear that doesn't really seem to take care of itself, you know? <laughs> yeah. We're like, we can be kind of snotty about it too, because we get so spoiled. We get to see so many bears, and they're all beautiful. But what, and they all kind of look similar when you just see one offs. And they, I mean, they do. They're so hard to tell apart unless they have a real scar. But you kind of get to know like little things. You can be like, oh, that bear has a long tail, even though it's, it's not really long, but it's just slightly longer or like, Oh, that one has a really pretty face or that one's especially nice. And they all, I don't know. We just kind of get a good feel for them, but the really, sometimes you get just a really clean, nice looking bear and it's like, Oh, that's a nice polar bear. But we, I mean, we like the scrubby grubby ones too, but yeah, there's oh, definitely yeah. a difference out there. <laughs> it's pretty but funny. Our polar bear population is going up, staying the same or going down for people who are listening. Yeah. So there are 19 different subpopulations um, and each one has its own status. Uh, So as an overall global population right now, they're vulnerable because they're at risk of sea ice loss. Uh, But to really get at what's going on, there are polar bear populations right now that are stable. Mm -hmm. We've had one or two that have increased some over the last couple decades. And then we do have some that are decreasing uh, due to changing sea ice patterns. And we do see a couple of those populations in Hudson Bay right now because Hudson Bay is at the southernmost extent of the range. And it's been really well documented there. And basically what what happens is, you know, we lose sea ice, which means polar bears lose access to their main prey seals. And if they have fewer calories over time, they're going to get smaller, have fewer babies, and then we see decreased population numbers. So we think there are around 25,000 or so polar bears in the Arctic. Um, If we do nothing to address climate change, we could lose, you know, a third by mid-century, two-thirds by the end of the century. Um, And we're hoping that that doesn't happen, and we already are seeing us you know, people take action on it. So we're, we're hopeful overall for polar bears. Um, Hudson Bay polar bears might still, you know, be kind of a little too late, but you know, right now it's still worth, you know, seeing them. I don't know if it's expensive to get to Churchill, but if anyone can ever make it, we always encourage it. It's a pretty special place. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of information on our website about, uh, polar bear status. You can also check out the polar bear specialist group, which is a group under the IUCN. So it's kind of this global, uh, group that's looking at polar bear status. And then there are five different countries that manage polar bears. So the Canada, US, Russia, Norway, and Greenland. And those countries work together on the kind of conservation and research and management mm-hmm. of 
the species. Um, so we're always updating kind of what we know. But right now, in, in some places, things are still good, and in some places, they're not so good. Mm -hmm. uh, so just, yeah, hope that we can protect them kind of forever. Mm -hmm. they're, they're so amazing. Yeah. What, so I guess this would segue really nicely into the last third, which is, you know, advice and suggestions for people who want to get more into conservation. What are, like from someone who doesn't do any conservation to actually doing things that matter, like what are some things that they can do to kind of like level themselves up to the point where they can make a contribution, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I too. think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, looking at books, like you mentioned, is really great. I think kind of tapping into resources in your own community um, is a really good start. Kind of seeing what's out there. You don't need to start this movement by yourself. You can kind of look at community organizations, kind of get this global effort uh, going. You can look at if there's, yeah, conservation groups in your area. Um, take part in, like, where Yellowknife, where I live, there's um, a citywide composting um, you know, program. It's it's fantastic. It's super easy for us to take part. It's basically done for us. Uh, there's, you know, bike to work days, walk to work days, kind of tapping into what's there and then spreading the word to your friends and family is a really great start. And yeah, well, you know, during elect, especially during election cycles, but at any time, you know, feel free to be reaching out with your voice and telling your leaders what's, what's appropriate. Mm -hmm. BJ, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that's really the one of the big ones there, right? Is uh, uh, paying attention to politics and making sure that we are getting leaders in there that are going to protect these these wild places and these things that we care about. Um, uh, I also think those small actions too. You know, I mean, uh, being organized in your community, um, you know, using less plastic, uh, walking more—all these little things—they uh, may seem little, but when everybody starts doing them, it, they, that stuff does add up, and ultimately a lot of that stuff ends up just being better mm -hmm. for people too. And I think um, uh, encouraging young people, kids uh, mm -hmm. to do the same, you know, because ultimately this is going to be um, the young people's problem. I mean, right. right now we're just starting to see the the beginning changes of this and, uh, and it's unfortunately it's going to be unloading on them here as they grow up and get older. So getting, getting young people engaged and understanding what's going on uh, so that they can make good decisions, I think, is is totally key. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's kind of interesting for our generation, and I'm making a big assumption that we're around the same age group. That I think, so. <laughs> yeah, probably. And you guys all look youthful, but <laughs> well, the like we're we're like the generation. You know, like when people are older and they're like, oh, when I was a when I was a boy or a young sprout, like you should see <laughs> all the trees and the polar bears. But like our generation really will be able to say that because either. You know, things improve. Yeah. Like, we're going to be able to see no matter what, like, be either by our efforts or be, despite our efforts, that there's going to be a, a big change in the world. So when it comes to conservation, I always think, like, there's no, it's really hard to be selfish about it because you're going to have to live through it. Like, you're going to, like, if the world doesn't look right, and like, you have, like, asthma and you, you know, you're living even less because of how bad the, the atmosphere is and stuff like that. Like, it's not, it's like, it's not like someone else's problem. Just because there's not, like, a polar bear in your backyard doesn't mean, like, we're, it's like one planet. And there was a, a good, there's a good analogy where it's like if you were to go into uh, your garage and turn the, the car on and then like keep the door down, that's what it's kind of like. But like the, the planet is the garage. So you have a little bit more time before you die. <laughs> but like the, the analogy sets. So like for people listening and or like, oh, I don't know, maybe tomorrow. It's like, no, do, do something today. Like send an email, ask a question. Um, most people are, are, you know, you guys are really welcome to. Like when I when I inquired, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I'll go answer your questions. Blah, blah, blah. Like most people, especially when they care about the community, are not going to be mean to you. And I think there's like this weird fear people have that like, oh, I won't reach out. They'll be mean to me. And it's like, well, one, how mean could they really be if it's an email, right? And then two, <laughs> two, like always assume it's a no until you ask, right? And so then like just ask, and then you get get it confirmed for people who are interested. And they're like, oh, I don't want to talk to my politician. What are they going to do? It's like, well, what will they do? It's a fun. No matter no matter which way anyone answers your question, they answered your question. So I think people need to be a bit more adventurous and taking charge in the fact that you're, if you're like our age, like late twenties to early thirties, I, I don't know. Um, like we're gonna have to live through it. So like definitely don't like like chuck the buck or whatever the, the term would be. But are, are are there any good books or things like that that people can read and be like, hey, yeah, this is like would 
would be good primers to get them more educated on this subject and excited? Oh my gosh, I'd have to think of that one. Um, I mean, there's a couple great polar bear books out there that kind of talk about that specific issue. There's uh, Polar Bears by well, Andy DeRocha, who we've mentioned, and then another polar bear book by Ian Sterling. Those are um, Ian Sterling's kind of like the grandfather of polar bear research. Uh, so, and we know both of them well. They're you know great, and both their books are really so comprehensive on like why this is an issue for polar bears. Um, and then, yeah, I, you know, I read a book kind of recently, Requiem for a Species. I think well, actually, Jeff York, he initially reached out um, to he passed that on to me. Um, yeah, I don't know, BJ. What BJ's a good reader too. You know, I think a lot of the books that I read, um, they more just cover just general uh, being out in the wild. I think it's, I, I I think lead, you know, and, and and kind of looking at uh, your analogy there with the garage or the car in the garage. I think, you know, I live here just outside of uh, Yellowstone National Park. It's a pretty spectacular place. And so a lot of the books that I read are, are, are stuff, you know, that, talking about hiking in the woods or mm-hmm. fishing or things like that, the things that I like to do. And and that really kind of just inspires me to, A, both be out in the environment, mm-hmm. uh, get away from the computer, get away from all this stuff and go out and enjoy nature. And then also, you know, do this job that I'm doing on behalf of those wild places. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think whatever it is, those books that just sort of open your eyes to the to the natural world are 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 super important. It doesn't have to be polar bears; it can be anything. Um, mm-hmm. But as long as you're kind of engaging in in the natural world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely, there's I think National Geographic always has something really neat in every single one of their issues. And the library yeah. is free, so like go go to the library. <laughs> I have like yeah, five oh, different, totally. yeah, I have like six different library cards because they allow me to have them. So I'm gonna, I like to collect them, but. <laughs> Um, oh, cool! <laughs> yeah, and for people who are listening, if, if you can go to your library, and if there's a book at a different library, you can request it. Most people don't know that, and you have Over Overwatch, Overdrive, or something like that, where you can get everything free online. It's like an ebook system. I'm probably saying That'd it wrong. Be cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll link it somewhere. But uh, for for people who are like, oh, these guys are fascinating. I enjoy listening. I keep saying guy, even though there's a lady here that seems mean. But oh, uh, works for me. <laughs> the well, I always try to like ladies, and then I feel like a guy would have a problem with that. But um, so the, <laughs> how can people follow you? We mentioned the website a number of times. You guys have U- YouTube live streams, but for people who mm-hmm. are listening in and maybe aren't going to check the show notes, what are like the top ways to be engaged with you guys specifically? Yeah, so we do have Twitter at Polar Bears. Um, we also have Instagram at Polar Bears International, just to see some cool polar bear photos all the time. Uh, both of those and our Facebook, you know, at Polar Bears International. Uh, those are all actually pretty updated, pretty well updated very often. Uh, mm-hmm. If people want to kind of keep track of what, what's going on. Um, when we've come back from the field, we'll write blogs and post photos of it. So you get to see what we were just doing. Um, and yeah, it's actually a really good way to keep track of everything we have going on. And our website, when you do scroll down mm-hmm. a little bit, there is kind of a recent news section to kind of see, you know, we'll write blogs about latest research papers that came out. Um, even if it wasn't ours, you know, if it was just a really cool polar bear paper, we'll, you know, write kind of a a summary of it more for a public audience sort of thing. Um, so I think those are probably the best ways. BJ, do you, am I missing anything? Yeah, I think uh, just the last one, one of our big partners there is explore.org. Yeah. Um, so all the live streams, um, you can see them on our website, polarbearsinternational.org, but you can also go to explore.org and, uh, and you can see all kinds of cool stuff from northern yeah. lights to polar bears to beluga whales to um, whatever else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got so so many cams and they have a highlight reel. So right now, of course, the polar bear cams aren't generally live, but there's great highlight clips if you just feel like watching that. And yeah, they've got, I often get sucked into an explore.org hole. I love, they've got this walrus cam I really like, and they've got, you know, puppy and kitten cams, a donkey cam. Gosh, so good. So I no, the owl cams are rad. Oh, the owl cams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The owl cams are, are totally wild right now. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check out the owl cam. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like it might be fun, especially if it's if it especially this is it like the breeding season is that why it's really crazy right now or, uh, like what makes it really so, special 
Yeah, so a couple of them are nesting right now or will be shortly. I haven't checked on the gray gray, but the gray gray should be nesting here pretty soon. And then they also have um, pygmy owls, um, I think, is, or the short ear owls. Mm, boy, you have to go on there and find <laughs> out. I can't remember now. I think maybe it's short ear owl um, cameras. And uh, anyway, so yeah, it's nesting season. You're going to start seeing some chicks here. And then uh, cute little fluffy critters hanging out in trees waiting to you know, grow up big enough so they can fly. Mm-hmm. Cute. Yeah, it sounds cute. Yeah. But I, I imagine you, you I, when you're out there watching the polar bears, you can kind of get inside their head as like an animal. Have you ever thought about kind of like doing like a, like a tweet update of like a, like a polar bear's life from the polar bear's perspective? Like they said, I would read that. That'd be kind of fun. Like to like, Oh, I'm going around. I need to take a shower today. I, I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> then, because then they can, as soon as, like when it comes to reading, as soon as like you give the person a perspective, then they uh, empathize with that creature. So then it kind of like makes them care about polar bears a little bit more. Actually, interested that you brought that up because we've talked about doing something like that before. Um, so maybe we should. We do have a bear tracker online, so we do follow some tracked female polar bears. If you want to go see where they're at, and we have talked about kind of yeah tweeting from their point of view. I think there was like a, a shark one that did that or something, and it was so popular. So may, yeah, maybe that's something we'll have to move on. Maybe starting this fall or or something because it would be. I mean, a lot of it would be like sitting by a hole waiting for a seal, but there would be other stuff too. So that would be cool. And so yeah. everyone, everyone who's, who's interested in that idea. You go to their website and you poke them and let them know that yeah. that interests yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Remember to check them out at Polar Bears International. That was Elisa and BJ. As I said in the beginning, they do wear a lot of hats up in the north, which is no surprise to a lot of you. All the links to the things that they suggested to see the live cams, learn about what they're doing, they will be in the show notes. And I hope everyone checks them out because I know I did and they actually were a lot of fun. Researching Polar Bear National, there's a lot of things you just wouldn't expect, like or just you're like pleasantly surprised that it exists. And I know I really enjoyed the content. I really enjoyed getting to know more about them and what they do, because it is really one of those like unsung things. You know, how many of you think about polar bear research in the Arctic that's letting us know more about climate change, how the polar bears are doing, all these longitudinal things about our environment and the ecology in the North that you know. I think it's utterly fascinating, but doesn't necessarily get covered in the news all that much. So I hope each and every one of you got something from this discussion. We got to talk about who they are, how they got to where they are. Uh, <laughs> fat popsicles, of course. And, you know, quite a lot. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm going to take away from this. There's going to be show notes, hyperlink show notes in the, the description for anyone who wants to jump around in the future when they re-listen. You know, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. And tell everyone about it. The more we work together, the more quality guests like Elisa and BJ I can have to talk about really fascinating things that are going to interest all of us. So thank you for tuning in with Learning with Lowell. And I hope each and every one of you have a great day. Thank you. Bye.